Okay. So is this on? Yeah. All right. We're doing something different this morning, something we've not done before. It's going to be very informal. Uh, first of all, you get to see everybody who's on the teaching team, minus Jared, who's always on every team. <laughs> um, and what we wanted to do was uh, going through a book of the Bible, spending more than a year doing that, it was new and different for us and for all of you. So uh, what we are hoping to do this morning is um, some of the teachers are going to get up and give just kind of how that study impacted them. And then we want to open it up to questions from you. And we will do our best not to hem and haw, and we'll try to look smart and try to answer your questions. I have my cheat book down here, the commentary, so I, while they're humming, hemming and hawing, I could look it up. But, um, okay, Dan's doing sign language, and we didn't know what he was telling us, but I think we have it. Um, and there are really any question. Maybe there's something you're confused about. Maybe there was, um, you just want to say how the book, the, this series resonated with you. Maybe there was something you, you let go of because of the series or something that you gained. Or you have ideas for how to improve this uh, next time we do something like this. Or your p opinion is please don't ever spend a year and a <laughs> half on a book ever again. So it's all open. And we're going to look kind of uh, clunky because we didn't have a rehearsal or anything. But I think Brian, I'm Catherine. This is April Lynn. She's the newest member, so in a lot of ways, she was you for most of the year, and then she got to be up here, which she's probably regretting. <laughs> Kevin is part of the teaching team because he does the small groups and the classes and the conversation, and so he's heard a lot of your feedback. He's going to be one of the people that gets up. Brian uh, is going to speak. Brian's one of the teachers. Wayne and is not. He's going to answer questions. That's what happens when you miss a meeting. You don't get to talk. And <laughs> now they're all never going to show up to a meeting. And then Ginny's going to talk. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Afterwards, okay, so when we're done, um, there'll be two worship songs like always. You'll get dismissed. While the last worship song's going on, I'll be putting the ice cream sandwiches out there on the thing. When church is over, help yourself to ice cream sandwich. Uh, and then if you'd like to come back and talk more or just chat or ask more questions, we're going to hang around for a while if there's unanswered things. Did I do it? Okay. Go, Brian. Um, first off, I want to apologize for the drooling dog coffee mug. I don't know who brought that, but that's amazing. Um, also, you've got to appreciate a church that we, uh, we tra we're we transactional in the sense that we'll give you ice cream. For, for listening to this breakdown today. So if nothing else, you have that to look forward to. Um, this series, uh, for me personally, as Catherine said, we're all going to just speak really quickly about uh, what it meant. Um, I've been a Christian for multiple decades since I was a teenager. And um, what this meant to me, uh, the, the, the study itself, the words spoken by all of the folks that are up here has been really personal. I mean, it's amazing how that if you're a person who's been churched for a better part of your life, how these words um, can just become rote, right? I mean, I've read the Gospel of Mark multiple times throughout the decades. I've heard it preached multiple times. And for this, it became very personal to me. 
because of the, this deep dive. I mean, as much as I've experienced it throughout the years, I've never spent, as was said, a year and a half uh, uh, on a book like we have. And it's just been, as I think I can speak for everybody up here, we hope that as you now open the Book of Mark, that it's kind of like an old friend. And uh, an old friend that's uh, worth coming into contact again and again. Uh, for me, uh, there's a couple of themes that, that kind of punched me in the face. Uh, one was uh, kind of the politics of what was going on at that time. And, and it's amazing how, you know, that doesn't change, right? Uh, the tensions of, of the political, geopolitical things that are going on in our world in the 21st century and then in the first century of Palestine. It's, it's interesting, some of the parallels. They're not obviously the same. Uh, the fighting forces are very different, but yet the same. Um, the fact that most of the people and those closest to Jesus didn't recognize him for who he was. They wanted to make him into something that he wasn't. And Mark's gospel, really, the revelation of who Jesus was comes at the cross. And so that's profound in the words of the centurion, which, you know, I've, for the ones that I taught personally, uh, that, of course, is huge for me, um, but the one that stood out the most to me, actually, I, I, a teaching I did, if you want to go back and watch it, it's not a plug, but it was, well, yes, it is. Uh, it was on August, it was on August 17th, 2022, and it was the end of chapter 7, and it's the Syrophoenician woman, and I think as an example of somebody in the Gospel of Mark that kind of encapsulates in seven verses, and we don't know her name, and when I get to heaven, She's one of the first people I want to talk to because uh, she set the stage for what was so much. It was groundbreaking because some of the themes in Mark are, uh, you know, journey, right? It starts out with you're going on a journey, and then from that point, there's crisscrossing everywhere. That's where a map really comes in handy, right? Man, Jesus and the disciples are everywhere. Uh, it's a journey from beginning to end where God says, this is my son and, you know, who I'm proud to the end where the centurion says what he says. It's a journey. The Syrophoenician woman is an example of somebody who was an outsider uh, in so many ways. One, she was a woman, so she was barely above property. Uh, second off, she was a Gentile. She's Greek. She storms, literally, she pushes her way into a house where Jesus is trying to get some quiet time with the disciples. Throws, himself at, throws herself at his feet, right? So she is the essence of an outsider pushing her way in. Uh, she is the first person in Mark's gospel to ever answer Jesus from within a parable. Within a parable. The story. She takes on the story and challenges him. And, and when I named the teaching, when I did this teaching, I, I called it chutzpah. You know, that uh, German Hebrew word for meaning basically guts. She's got, yeah, she's amazing. And so that, that just encapsulates that, that whole outsider. And one of the greatest themes in the book of Mark is discipleship. And you think, well, what, what is, how is she, did she become a disciple? We don't have an answer for that. In fact, one of the things I love about those seven verses is we don't have a lot of answers for what those things mean. Because Jesus says some things that you go, what? Did he just call her a dog? Yes, he did. What did he mean by that? 
Was he affirming his stance that he came first to the Jews? Was he affirming uh, his belief that uh, having some sort of uh, prejudice against Gentiles was wrong? Yes, yes, no, no, we don't know. We just know that this woman, this woman turned his head by challenging him and that her child was healed without Jesus ever leaving the room. And it's, it's profound. And so, and I think she stands is just, for me personally, one of the greatest parts of, of, of Mark's gospel. Who's next? Well, one thing you'll notice about the teachers is we all have a different style. And we have Brian and Wayne who improv and just talk to you. And then we have Catherine and me and... I'm not sure yet about April Lynn. We'll just see. <laughs> if it's not on the paper, it's not coming out of our mouths. So if you'll forgive me in my notes, this is just how I do it, and it's part of my charm. Um, throughout this series, I've approached, I've tried to approach the Gospel of Mark with fresh eyes. I know sometimes the Bible can become too familiar, and we know how it ends. And so we fast forward to the ends, and we miss all the bits in the middle. Um, so I tried to imagine myself as a first century woman expecting the Messiah and yet, honestly, not really expecting him to come in my lifetime. Um, and I tried to relate that to the present. What do I expect of Jesus, of God, of the Holy Spirit? And sadly, I had to grapple with the rea reality that I'd fallen into the same spiritual malaise that they had. Um, I believe in theory, but I also write my own rules about getting by in the day-to-day. And um, certainly not really thinking about much about the, the days to come and not how I would react if I, account, if I encountered the Messiah face-to-face -face this morning right here. Um, I realized I had a lot of s protocols in my mind and boundaries left over from my early days in the church and uh, assumptions that I've turned into axioms. And... If Jesus acted outside of that box, I would have either chalked it up to coincidence or blasphemy. So I had a whole lot of um, compassion for the Pharisees, which I hope came through in my sermons. Um, I realized that they are not the demons that I was taught that they were. They're actually very much like me. Um, and I realized very early on that I needed a new set of eyes. So I tried to imagine myself there, if seeing it for the first time, and not knowing how it would end. And that kind of changed everything about it for me. Um, one of the most impactful insights was the idea of creation out of chaos. Now, um, this pattern was initiated pre-Genesis, and it's still something I fight against. I hate chaos. Um, chaos, to me, is of the enemy and probably produced by the devil. And yet, throughout the book of Mark, we, we encounter Jesus right in the midst of it, in the center of it, and sometimes even causing it and using it to wake people up, much like he uses it to wake me up. So now I'm beginning to try to treat chaos a little more gently, and instead of treating it like an enemy, I'm beginning to try to extend a little bit of curiosity towards it. What surfaces in me in the face of chaos? How would I have been in the boat with the waves crashing around me and seeing Jesus sleeping? Would I have felt fear? Would I have felt anger? probably anger, <laughs> honestly. What are you doing, you know? Um, and the conviction that somehow God is blind, deaf, and dumb, or busy elsewhere. 
Um, these things need to be explored. And they cry out for God to expose what is underneath them. And that needs to be put aside and surrendered. And I found myself doing that a lot. Um, things happen in life, and many of them are unpleasant. Um, but they're just things. And to some extent, rather than wasting my energy fighting against them, I can become stronger and more faithful in the one that I profess to follow by doing some interior work in myself and see what faulty or wounded places are driving my boat and letting God take them so that he can take the rightful place in my life. Well, the second of many things I got out of this series, and I'm just going to stop with this one today, is how different Jesus acts from how I expect him to act. I hate to say, but if I'd been a one of his followers in the first century, there would have been a lot of times where I would have advised him to act differently, more circumspectly, less confrontationally, don't rock the boat, probably something like, why can't you be like the other rabbis? But Jesus was not one of the other rabbis, was he? And in fact, he acts so many times counter to how I would have had him act. It's a great reminder that Jesus, that God is not my puppet, whose strings I pull in order to have a smoother, more successful, more prosperous, happy, happier life, a life of self-indulgence. That's not what God is about. A long time ago, I was bellyaching to God because somebody didn't accept me the way I was, and I was insulted by it, of course. And I told God in my prayer, I just wish someone would love me the way I am. And I felt like his answer to me was, I feel like that all the time. And as I grapple with you with the question, who is this man, Jesus? Who is he? I've come to believe and to know that Jesus is the Son of God, an integral part of the Trinitarian Godhood. And while I do not know and will never fully know what that means, what God is like, I do know this. For some bizarre reason, he loves me with all his unquenchable, unstoppable love, despite myself, my faltering faith, and my uncertainties. And that's more than enough for me. Hello. So um, I'm, as she, uh, Catherine said, I'm not a teacher, but I do um, officiate or sort of facilitate these conversations that we have every first and third Sunday, which we don't have today because this is one big conversation. Here we go. So, um, but um, I, what I thought I'd do is um, just, I'm in a, in a sense, I'm kind of like the listeners to the teachers because um, I'm not a teacher. So I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who's been out in the audience um, receiving this. And uh, so, um, and like Ginny, I'm going to kind of read from some paper here because I'm not not as uh, gifted as Brian here, you know, in the, the old um, off-the-cuff kind of stuff. But uh, <clears throat> life begins at the end of your comfort zone, a saying by writer Neil Donald Walsh. And it's one of my favorites. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. What I experienced and had been challenged by as we had this deep dive uh, into Mark, liminal style, is how this man, Jesus, the Christ, was frequently going towards the unsafe, unsound, religiously and culturally discouraged places. 
in fact, given the cross and how we kind of know towards the end of the story it ends, um, it seems kind of trite because this is well beyond anyone's comfort zone, right? Literally in a crisis of sorts more recently, trying to make sense of the relevance of such ancient stories to a world like ours so different seeming, I heard a distinct call to take these stories inside, to internalize them and be willing to follow Jesus into some of my most difficult places. Uh, to put it as mytho mythologist Michael Mead might say, Jesus went towards the roar of the lion, not away. And as the kingdom of God goes, that's where peace is ultimately found. Likewise, Jesus led his disciples into these dangerous places. And these teachers of ours up here um, did such a wonderful job of fleshing these guys with their various personalities out and surmising about the perspectives of the many women and men throughout. In fact, uh, the story that Brian brought up was one that I had uh, omitted from this, uh, begrudgingly this, because I didn't want it to go too long, but such an amazing story. And the aspect of that that stood out to me with the, um, the woman who Jesus evidently insulted and compared to a dog was um, that it liminal style means that, like, for example, Brian didn't, wasn't conclusive about what that was. Was it an insult? Was it a teaching? Or he even suggested that perhaps Jesus, um, with, with this interaction, was somewhat changed a little bit, changed his teaching a little bit. And boy, that's, that's kind of a, a revolutionary thought that Jesus might have changed his mind midstream. <laughs> wow. Um, very human. Um, anyway, in June, uh, in June 2022, Ginny uh, looked at the sections in chapters 4 and 5 in which Jesus, with disciples right there, cal both calms a storm after being woken from his peaceful sleep, then takes seemingly by choice them to an area, the Decapolis, an area declared unclean by Jews for over a thousand years, facing down and freeing a man plagued by powerful demons. Ginny described that section as a Reuben on marbled rye sandwich, with the bread representing internal and external storms, the sauerkraut as the disciples' angst going into these rough places, and the shredded ham, the meat, as Christ dealing with the demons in this man. So, I love that. I have to pause to say that one of the things that stands out from that particular week was Jen. Jen was very gifted in always um, putting a, a scene or some kind of symbolic representation of that day's teaching out by the connection counter. And that day was uh, two pieces of bread with a can of deviled ham in it. And so I thank you, Jen, for your creativity with all that stuff. That was really good. That was really good. Um, so I could go on and on, but literally. But again, it is quite bare bones, Mark. Um, it's a living parable. Um, it, it, it really is a living parable um, to me. Um, it is meant to be taken internal, it internalized. And, um, and, and to follow Jesus into our most difficult places whatever they may be. Um, so, uh, 
It could be literally a major illness of self or loved one or simply not reacting to the tug of anger or impatience. We are offered the choice to trust Christ, following him and his love into the various wars of our lives. Um, this long journey in Mark has given us many clues on how to do that in our individual lives. And, and I would just, uh, if you're new or, or whatnot, I would encourage you to uh, go into the app and just know that these, this whole year of teaching is available in audio form um, to listen to, and it's just really good. I, I loved having the opportunity to, to um, prepare for this and listen through several great messages, too many to name, but thank you. Okay. So we're going to open it up to you. Martha is going to walk around with a microphone. She's going to hang on to it so you don't talk too long. And, you know, but ask your question or make your comment. Um, and if there's no questions, we actually have a couple that we thought we might want to answer so we can fill in the gaps. But if anybody has a question or a comment, raise your hand and Martha will come to you. Good thing we have these pre-made questions. And we answered all of your questions, I'm sure. Hi, thanks for all that you do. Um, the whole series is named Who Is This Man? And I know there's lots and lots of questions in uh, this, uh, the book. And so I have two parts. Uh, there's a favorite question that struck you in the book of Mark. And then also, how do you as teachers and us being in this liminal space of moving away from certainty preach a sermon that probably has a format we're used to would come to a conclusion or uh, something that you're directed to? How do you open up your teaching style to not be certain? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I just said, ooh, I want to answer that, and Wayne says, I'll fight you for it, but you'll see who won. <laughs> I think one of the things when we prepare a sermon, it's not to leave you walking out the door with more certainty or answers, but leaving you with questions for you to explore and you to wrestle with. Uh, that's kind of the goal. Um, we want this to be your faith, not our faith. And uh, I've gone to church all my life when there was only one way to think, and I think that is incredibly, uh, well, I'll just say arrogant and dangerous. Um, the day that you base your faith on what's going on in me is the day that I need to step down. So um, my goal is even to make you question what I said or to make you think, huh, never thought of it that way, and to do a little exploring on your own and grow your own faith. That's kind of my thought anyway. Now Wayne will probably fix it. Um, yeah, thanks. If you walk away with a little stone in your shoe and you have to address it later, awesome. Um, several years ago, uh, um, we did a play as Fractured Actors uh, that's been done a lot. I think we're probably the first church to ever do it, and that's Inherit the Wind. If you've ever seen Inherit the Wind, Scopes Monkey Trials, it's about the whole argument of evolution uh, that played out in real life. Uh, actually, there was a lady that came to our 
show that was alive and remembers the trials. She was like in her late 90s. It was amazing. Um, but the overwhelming point of that whole play was the right to think. And I think it, that is one thing uh, we as teachers, we want all of us to have, the right to think and the right to question. This very format in a church is pretty unusual, the idea that you can ask questions, which being on the other side of that to me seems ridiculous, right? Because when you look at that book and you open it up, there's nothing but questions, right? And so I also think it's a powerful thing anytime somebody stands behind a pulpit and says, I don't know the answer. Because I think that's, we, we don't. We try, we struggle, we wrestle with these things. Spent a lot of time, a lot of books spread out all over trying to, to wrestle with these and a lot of experience. And it does, you know, and, and, you, and I pray all of you are the same, that that's how that goes. You have the right to think. And, uh, and sometimes we don't have the answers. We just got to, you know, push on. Did that make sense what I said about leaving a, sh a stone in your shoe? <laughs> Do you all get it, what I'm saying? Cool. All right. I'm not one to only le like leave out two sentences and then shut up, so <laughs> i got to make sure. <laughs> the young lady in the front. Let young, oh, the young lady in the front. Oh, and the one in the back. Um, hey, my name is Esteban. <clears throat> I've come here a handful of times, and I thank you all for what you all have taught me, <laughs> me only coming in for a sprinkling of teachings. But um, I guess the thing that comes up, well, two things come up into my mind. One is, um, yeah, like how do you, I, I wonder if you think of or you prepare, which I'm sure you do, but I guess what comes into play when you, I guess, create or write your sermons for an audience who is queer and like how how does that come into play because we are you know an inclusive affirming church and, and maybe I'm just asking this because I need to hear it but yeah I wonder I wonder how that comes into play for you all I'll just take it for a minute to say that for me that is another perspective that I'm not familiar with and so I have been gradually uh, introducing myself to queer theology, and I have a lot to learn. So at the moment, it would be unwise of me to you know, drill down for that. But I really appreciate the fact that there is interest in that. And uh, uh, there's uh, someone in my family who has been a resource for me in... Um, directing me to some theologians and some websites that would be helpful. So it may be, it could actually be a future series on, mm. pre really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Thank you. And, and I would say, just in the kind of the pantheon of writing, that we're seeing now the fruits of feminist theology that 100, and, 100 years ago didn't exist, mm -hmm. right? And so it's the same now. Right, it's, it's a repetition of now we have queer theologians that are writing from a perspective that we didn't get 10 years ago. Thank, 
thanks for the question. For, for me, it really reinforces um, the, the whole diamond that we hold up a lot and the idea that there's many facets. And um, one, what a great perspective to combat um, single focused or you know uh, arrogance. Um, but for me, it just keeps on expanding. It just keeps on expanding God. And so I think we probably collectively would say something along the lines of what Catherine said. Um, but we hold, we hold those things so loosely that um, it allows the diamond to keep turning and to give us more facets and understanding of the divine. Yeah. I think for me, it boils down to love. Um, there are so many types of love, and all are beautiful. Um, some I'm more familiar with than others. But what I do know is that love doesn't exclude ever. And um, love is the Christ in me seeing the Christ in you. Come on. And, um, <laughs> yeah, we should do a sermon on this. I've got one going right now. <laughs> um, I just felt like we all had a moment just now and so I'm just even hesitant to say anything more because that was so meaningful to hear you know for God so loved the whole world he gave his only son not just not just one kind of people he loves us all but um, that's not my question. P pardon. Let me transition into the framework here. I um, I was curious if anybody would be willing. I know I'm asking a very vulnerable question for you, but if there was anything that stood out to you for yourself that um, called out a change within you, you know how the Holy Spirit often will will hit you and you'll go what <laughs> and you'll wrestle and, but when it feels good to change as soon as that moment ha as soon as that wrestling has um, brought you to a point where you can see so I don't know I don't know if that's something you can work with but it was it was just something that I had been wondering about I don't know how vulnerable this will be. Um, actually, this might be safe. <laughs> um, there's not a sermon that I prep for, a lesson that I prep for that doesn't jack me up. And I, I wrestle with it the way, like my process, and I think it's a little similar to your husband's, but I, I read the text way in advance, and then it just sits up here. And I know some of you have these brains that do that. Um, it just sits. And every interaction with you guys, every conversation, every red light, every jerk at the store I interact, everywhere, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it through that lens uh, and then talking my wife's ear off and talking God's ear off and sitting with it. But um, yeah, it, it, all, it all jacks me up. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's safe or what, but sorry not to be specific. It's okay to be unspecific. I just was curious about a shift that you guys noticed. So anyway, it's here nor there. Yeah. I'm talking too much, and I don't have papers, so this I is very that. hard. Is yeah. <laughs> don't get used to it. Um, I think there have been many times, and not necessarily so much in the marks, but the atonement, mm -hmm. where 
in the midst of preparing this in my sermon, my theology changed. Um, and that may not be really settling for you, that, you know, the week before, hey, guess what? I've got a new theology. Um, but, I mean, really, when we're, we're preparing the sermons, we sit there and, I mean, we have to stand up for you before you and intend to live what we speak. And I, especially with the atonement, I had been a, um, there's only one way to go, it's, you know, substitutionary atonement, and that's it, you know, until I started reading about it and thinking, you know, I don't honestly think that's all of the truth. And um, then you have to start over. Um, and it's, it's terrifying. But on the other hand, what a stretch and what a ride, huh? What they said. It's the agony and the ecstasy, preparation, and what it does, I, I think, for the teachers, and hopefully for you. So I have kind of a comment and then like a question. So first, the comment is, um, I don't know, I just want to say that I think it's amazing how this is such like a, a community where um, I remember graduating high school, I grew up Catholic, and I, and I literally said to God, hey, so as far as I understand it, as long as I go to confession before I die, we're good, so I'm going to go have fun. I'll see you later. Um, <laughs> but there was always a longing to learn more, and I remember like, for, like my freshman year in college, I was like, I want to study the Bible. So one of those campus guys that was like, oh, study the Bible. I was like, cool, I'm going to learn the Bible. But it was like he highlighted the verse, you know, you should hate your parents and love me. <laughs> And so that was a real turnoff for me. Yeah, right. And so I, I struggled a lot with, with Christianity. And it wasn't. And then, long story short, coming to a place where, like, I've always been like, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to question. And every time a Christian has said that, they're like, yeah, we welcome that. But they say that, but they don't actually welcome it. Because when we start getting into those things, it's, no, you need to believe like me or you're going to hell. And to have a place where it's like, well, here's how I understand it. Tell me how you understand and why you, and then let's have a, que a conversation about it, I think is beautiful. Um, and then so the question part of it is how we as like, like new members, how can we contribute to this community? What, what is it that we can do to help like, but because one thing that I do notice, and it's, I'm, I'm biracial, but and by and large, this is predominantly a white church because this is predominantly a white county, but this is one of the few white churches where I actually feel comfortable saying how uncomfortable I was first coming here with so many white people. <laughs> like <it's> so <laughs> I don't think any other church, if I would have told them that, hey, when I first got here, I was uncomfortable that there were so many white people, they would have been like, well, I'm glad Jesus wiped that smuck out your eyes. <laughs> so thank you guys for that. <laughs> You're leading that group. Yay. Hooray. We're, I mean, like, you've got a lot of people in there, too. I mean, this is cool. Uh, I, I don't know. All you, Both of you are very gifted, very gifted people. We feel really fortunate that you decided to hang out with us. And don't forget, you have great kids, too. So, yeah. I don't, ha I don't have something. Sp I, don't know, I don't know what to say. Questions, participate. Yeah. Do you see something that you want to ask a question?
question, ask a question. And if you don't get a good answer, oh, y'all can hear me, can't you? Oh, no. Oh, I think it's for um, Sorry, video people. <laughs> um, yeah, ask questions. Um, test us on those things. And I, I don't mean that right, like in a, but like, if we say that we're a community that does that, like, check it out. You know, that's for all of you guys. Ask questions, contribute, um, throw a different angle out there. Like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Like, do, do that, just participate. That's how this thing works, right? That's why we're up here, because we just want to participate. Yeah, and I would add to that, sorry, ahead, no, I'm interrupting. Um, I would add to that that if we are truly a community that is growing together and asking questions and saying that it is you know, our responsibility to help each other to grow in our faith, then asking questions is helpful because A, it gives other people permission to ask questions that they thought, oh, I was the only one who was questioning that. Um, but B, we can't grow together if we aren't asking questions and learning from each other's perspectives and questionings and new insights. Um, so that is helping the community by continuing to ask the questions and be vulnerable and um, say, yeah, I'm not really sure about this. This is how I'm understanding it, but what do you all think? So. Thank you. I'm gonna actually jump on that really quick for a second because it, it also gets me to your question with that. Um, I don't think it was in this, in the Mark series, but um, not too long ago did a, uh, a lesson on um, what's known as Doubting Thomas, like the little heading. And my big takeaway there, and it was actually really helpful for me, and I think this goes to this as well, is that the community that had been created, the early disciples and, and, and Jesus' community, they made space for Thomas. They had, there was space for the doubts. There was space for the questions. He wasn't kicked out. He wasn't told he's going to that place that I don't think is whatever. Um, but he, he wasn't said all those things. They gave him space to work it out his, his, on his own, right? And I think that that's, if we, if we can all get that, that this is a space we can work that out, then there's a lot of grace and um, opportunity for those kind of conversations to exist. But like it, it starts with creating a space that we value doubt and wrestling. And if y'all need uh, a reminder, uh, Israel, like God literally changes the name to Israel, right? To, to, to wrestle, it means to wrestle with God. Like this is, we are the people who wrestle with God. And so creating a space where we can wrestle is really important, but it takes all of us to contribute. So thanks. Oh, wait. <laughs> I stole from him. I know. Go ahead. I just want to say, I welcome pushback. There are times when I've stepped down from speaking and someone's come up to me and said, hey, what I heard you say, or um, you say that this church is this, but I'm not see where, I don't see where it's happening. We need to hear those things. Pushback, I mean, I don't love it, but, you know, <laughs> it's really, really important that we're held to, to be who we say we are. And so we're all in this together. And so, yes, bring it on. He said something about okay. He said something about wrestling, which there are there in the text. There is gut wrestling with God, right? And that's when the Syrophoenician woman comes before Jesus and throws it back on him. There's a wrestling there, and so again, don't have the answer. Did he change his mind? Maybe, but that's that issue, right? And and it's it's a rabbinic method of learning, right? That idea of iron sharpening iron, coming against each other. 
not in a bad way, but to challenge. And I think challenge is the best thing. I love it. Love it. So. Just a plus one to the um, asking questions to answer your question, George. Um, I find that uh, I talk a lot. And so the com I just want to plug the conversation, which happens, uh, I think, twice a month, right? That we're Yeah, twice a month, um, because whoever's teaching will be in the room. And then, like, I often take notes, and then I have my points that I want to wrestle with, and I'll come and, and ask. And it's I just want to um, affirm that it's like a safe space to ask your crazy-ass questions, excuse my language. And... Um, and that that's been really, really helpful f for me because I grew up in kind of an oppressive um, theological situation where, um, you know, the, the there was only one person who was allowed to ask questions, and it was um, the guy who, who led that reformation. But then if you were in the church now, in his church of asking questions, you couldn't ask any questions. Like, it was just, it was like, we'll tell you exactly what this means. We'll tell you exactly what you believe. We'll tell you how to do it. And um, so it's been a great... Uh, um, opportunity here for me to be able to um, dive into and expand my own theology in a, in a different kind of way. Love it. So anyway, the conversation twice a month. By the way, Wayne leaned over and called me a heretic, but <laughs> I am going to get that t-shirt. Hello. Um, so I guess piggybacking off of um, the other question too, um, because I've come to this plate, pl this space, and I've done nothing but wrestle, and it's just been getting very comfortable with this community <laughs> slowly. Um, just being able to wrestle with these big questions, and one of them is, do I need this at all? <laughs> and um, what keeps me coming back? One of the things was from last, I think two sermons ago, was the atonement. So <laughs> I know I still have a foot in, and, but I'm grateful for this space that allows me to go, screw it. <laughs> uh, so just for one, thank you. And then as for like the Mark's gospel, what was something from the gospel that gave that strength in your faith? And then, your faith, and then another one that um, made you question, to go like, do I need this? Or what is this? Or I never thought of, saw it that way before. And it's, I don't know, something like that. But thank you for this space. <laughs> I, I can't take a minute? Okay. Uh, I, I, um, hold on, I can do this. <laughs> what made my faith stronger was actually seeing uh, Jesus' interaction with so many people. I hadn't, uh, his, the way he went out of his path or the way he went out of uh, culture and tradition to interact with people. And um, how he, there was no judgment ever. There was no harshness. I mean, he reserved his harshest comments for uh, the insiders, the people who theoretically knew best, but he was so generous uh, with outsiders, and uh, I got a, so I got a lot of comfort from that. How expansive the gospel was, the, and Mark's being the very first gospel, 
how expansive this very first story of Jesus was and how incredibly inclusive this was. And it was the map and knowing that when a certain city was mentioned, it was actually a Gentile city, it was a place that people wouldn't have, you know, pious Jews would never have gone. So that was, for me, just, uh, I just was freeing, but also uh, I was like, yes, this is the kind of, uh, this is the way I want Jesus to be. Like, I, I was seeing him the way I wanted him to be. I thought that he was. Now, wait, there's another part to this. There's a part B. Oh, I don't, I don't know. If, I don't think it's her question. I think it's mine. <laughs> um, how free Jesus was with Scripture. You know, we, I was taught to uh, read it and come to only particular conclusions. And in Mark, Jesus is saying, well, people say this, but I say this. Or you've learned it this way, but I think it means this. And the way that you would think that would have confused and frightened people, and it did, it confused and frightened the people that were holding on to it a particular way. But for everybody else, the verb or the word that Mark uses is they were amazed. They were wowed. They were so compelled by his teaching because they got to hear what they'd held so dear for so long that had been put into this teeny tiny box, they got to see that box blown open and that it meant different things. Anyway, I, and that gave me confidence to then look at scripture in different ways. I thank God that he revealed himself to me when I was about four or five. He kept me alive in a very difficult home life. And then I started going to church and Sunday school and learned how to believe. And this is the way you believe and this is what it is. And I grew up in a church that I've gone to since I was eight. Um, and I, I met someone that was very um, confident, a great Bible teacher, um, well-respected, and became a, a very close friend to and mentor, so to speak. Um, and she started talking about things that I began to worry about. She was talking about this church, and I didn't know if she was going through a change of life or something. I mean, it, it was not what I had heard come from her before. And it made me very uncomfortable. I was afraid to come here. And when she mentioned something or other about meditation, I was thinking, um... And, and I, I can't tell you how uncomfortable and afraid I was. And it didn't mean that I loved God less or didn't believe as I... In him, him, not the church particularly, I, I found a whole new way of looking at things. I still have a gazillion questions. I want to nail each one of you for a half an hour someplace. And I have my only daughter and my son-in-law are in a very fundamentalist, strict church. And 
I have been very um, resistant to mention this. I made some comment about this person saying something really about, I don't know how to explain it. It's something, I mean, this week there's something about meditation, and I could feel across the phone the <laughs> and I'm afraid to even say anything to them and I'm, I watched Mark very carefully in the teaching that I have been listening to since I've been coming and I'm, I, I'm, I'm planning on how to bring this up because these are godly loving people and it's scary it's really scary to, to jump from one background into an opening of teaching, but to me it's exciting and I really appreciate it. Thank you all. I have, I've wrestled with the same bits. Um, we have some family members that are extremely conservative and uh, they were over at our house the other day for a family party and they happened to be sitting on my couch, which faces my bookcase. <laughs> and I was thinking, why did Peter Enns have to put a yellow label on the back of his book? <laughs> I was just dying inside. <laughs> Could you not have made it brown, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, they'll see your heart. They may not agree. And I have found that asking questions about, well, what is this, what is this surface in you? Um, you know, how does this run counter to what you believe? Tell me more about what you believe. Tends to, you know, without judgment, uh, because there's room for both. Um, I, I wouldn't give anything for the times that I had in my nice little evangelical bubble, which gave me a very good foundation, which now I can kind of improvise on. Um, but, you know, there's, there's room for both. And, um, yeah, love will cover it. Um, so my question, hello, sorry, Martha. Um, oh, sorry, here he pumped it. Um, so uh, a good friend of mine once said, uh, "People look at us not our at our ideology, but how we treat other people," and I think that's a huge, huge thing, and that's uh, at the core of my belief. Um, since I know a lot of you personally. Um, so I'm very idealistic, as I know somebody else is. Um, my question goes to the whole Gospel of Mark. So I'm goal-oriented. You know, I see the end result. Um, how does that play into how you guys um, come to your conclusions in the sense of, as you go through the gospel, do you see an end result? Or do you kind of, I guess, work through the whole thing and go, oh, let me parcel out this passage and see where it leads to? Um, and I guess a follow-up question to that is, did your whole style of learning or how you present things change in that? I mean, you know, some of you had said, yes, uh, you know, the rock and the shoe, and maybe, you know, things have changed, but, you know, to go this long through something, had, did it change your, the way you interpret things, you know, things like that? Here we go. <laughs> <coughs> I'm just kidding. Hi, Andy. Uh, what Jenny said. I'm just kidding. Um, 
it's a really long, compacted question. Um, specifically with Mark, Andy, because the ending just kind of ends, um, especially after some of the stuff that Catherine illuminated uh, most recently, I think what it does for me is it reinforces the idea of the meta-narrative of this overarching story, which is how I teach all of the Bible, especially when I was a classroom teacher. And so knowing the meta-narrative, knowing the, this bigger overarching story, then I can, I can tell, um, let, me, let me change those words, because that sounds a little like I understand it. Um, it, seem, it seems like I'm able to, to make, um, with the smaller stories, um, connections to the bigger story. Right, and so what I, was, what I was about to say is I can tell, like for me, it's like an on-ramp. Like, okay, like, so this little story is an on-ramp onto this bigger story, onto this overarching or meta-narrative of, of Jesus. In Mark in particular, it's such, it's such a moving, you've heard that from all of us, right? It's such a moving, like forward, impacting story. Um, it doesn't just end. I, I really do think, that for me personally, this is why we titled it, like, Who's This Man? It's when you answer that, like Peter did, like the, like the centurion did. So then it's the now what, right? And that gets you kind of to, I think, that first quote that you said about the way that you live it out. And so hopefully, we teach in such a way that we're illuminating the bigger picture. Like, here's the small story. Here's the bigger picture of the impact. And ideally, right, like a lot of us have been talking about, we, we've, we've been, we come to church and we've learned how to think, or people have told us what to think. And oftentimes, we'll call that our, our orthodoxy. And Jesus, in that invitation into teaching us the, the unforced rhythms of grace, he shows us that orthopraxy of what it looks like to live it out. And so I think, I think in Mark, what, what you get and as a teacher, like hopefully we show you Jesus' way of doing that, his rhythm of, of you know, unforced rhythms of grace through all these different encounters, all these different people, all these different outsiders especially, and then, God willing, the end, not the end, you continue the story, Andy, right? And then like we continue the story, right? Like that's, so hopefully we're teaching in that kind of way. And so for me personally, um, that did change my teaching style and to be a little bit more comfortable with maybe leaving a stone in a shoe and not, because um, my tendency is to want to reveal everything. I get really enthusiastic and all excited and I want to play the Holy Spirit in your life and that's not cool. Um, so learning, learning how to just kind of like Jesus, like just like, Throw out, throw out some, some stuff and see where it lands, right? You know, and, and hopefully if it lands on the good soil, you'll, you'll keep the story going, which I know you, you do, so thanks. One quick thing about the end of Mark. Verse 8, the women come to the tomb, and, you know, if you read, I think, in the NIV, it says, most Bibles do not have the following verses, right? After verse 8, right? Because it was tacked on, because we don't have it. We do have the end of Matthew uh, as, as, uh, uh, and Luke, as uh, Catherine uh, talked about. Um, but it says, they saw the empty tomb, and they were afraid. End. Now, for me, as a drama guy, I would love if that was just it, because that's just like a cliffhanger ending. It's not how they, that's not how they didn't write in the first century. But we have Luke, and we have Matthew, and we have all of Paul's writing, which actually predate Mark, right? And Paul talks about the crucifixion, the resurrection, everything. I just love that if, if that was really the ending, because it's, it is, it's open-ended. And now what are you going to do with it? How are you going to live? It's an invitation. You're just looking at the empty tomb. I, yeah, that's, uh, that would be cool. That's a Hollywood ending. So back to music. Um, <laughs> 
there is in most hymns and, and songs and everything, there's a cadence at the end where you come back to the, the root chord. And it's this is the end. This is the end of the song. And we even joke about it, you know, if you've got a drummer and he does this nice, da, 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 this is the end of the song, boom. But one thing I love about Chris Gwaltney is that he is rather famous for not resolving that last chord. So you've got all of the text, <laughs> and it just hangs there. And it lets you think, and it lets you be, and it, let you, it lets it impact you and change you. And um, that's, I love the end of Mark, or the not end of Mark, because that's where I would have been. I would have been terrified. And the end then what would have been a process, but not a foregone conclusion. And that really challenged me to, to treat more of the Bible that way. You know, what is its surface in me? And where do I take it? And where does it go? So anyway, there. Speaking of the end, we're done. <laughs> was, that, was that smooth enough, Catherine? Okay, sorry. Yes. Okay. The tomb's empty, guys. You're yeah. all scared. Yeah. Yeah, be afraid. Get out, preach. Be afraid. Two worship songs. Two worship songs.